We care about our land more than somebody down in Ottawa. A land code puts the First Nation into the power of government. The biggest point for me is your ability to protect your reserves lands. Former chief of our community had the vision to sign uh, and the guts to sign that framework agreement. Business at the pace of business. The good thing about land code, we don't have to sell it. It sells itself. Stephen Point, welcome to the podcast. So great to have you here. Nice to be here. It's smoky in Ottawa, isn't it? Wow. There are wildfires, I think, 10 or 15 miles outside and tend to be blowing in. And yeah, the haze is, yeah. And you can smell it in the rooms here too. In the rooms, you? yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it was like sleeping in a longhouse, I, which I've done before, so I didn't mind it at all. <laughs> What's the situation like out in the Fraser Valley, elsewhere in BC? Tomorrow's going to be one of the, or today's going to be one of the hottest days of the year, apparently. That's what they're predicting. And, and there's a fire burning out at Harrison, which is close to Chehalis community. So we're, we're all kind of biting our nails right now because <clears throat> it's pretty close to home and we're worried about that. Well, let's talk about the conference here, Law Enforcement, the Enforcement of First Nations Laws. And you've got a, a rather unique perspective from your own legal background and your time as, a, I think, a provincial court judge yep. in British Columbia. Yes. What do you see, before we talk solutions, what do you see as some of the challenges in this area? Some of the challenges, I, I think, is, is that, um, you know, by and large, First Nations at, at the reserve level and even those living in urban centers, they don't trust... Canadian systems. They don't trust non-native judicial systems, court systems, education systems. We haven't played well in the sandbox with the newcomers that have come. And and it's because these systems often don't reflect the way we see the world, the way we understand our place in the universe, and how we manage conflict, for particularly conflict in the past. So that's a challenge, you know, because you as the speaker said this morning, you, you do have to get community buy-in. You have to get people at the, at the at the community level to agree that that whatever system you put in place is going to work for them. So if if what you're going to do is simply replicate what's already there, I think that's a concern. That's a challenge. The other challenge is that any conflict resolution process is going to be expensive, and First Nations <laughs> communities often do not have the resources, right? Uh, let's face it. I mean, the Canadian justice system isn't a moneymaker. I mean, it's not a corporation <laughs> putting out profits. I mean, it's, a, it's an expensive thing from police to courts to to prisons, that sort of thing. <laughs> well, I think I was reading of a, a trial project somewhere. I don't know if it was Ontario where they're trying to get private prosecutors involved, but there's a funding issue around that. I mean, who's going to pay for it, right? Exactly. And the Canadian justice system, which is touted internationally as one of the best systems in the world, is expensive. So uh, that's a challenge for First Nations. We're, we're standing at the door of self-government, looking around the room and going, what can we do with regard to land management now that we're taking that on under the current uh, federal legislation? Then they got to sort of look inside their bank accounts and go, well, can we do this? You know, should we, should we enter this room at all? So that's, that's a challenge, right? I, I think those are, the, those are two of the major ones that I, I would point out at this time. So here, they're, they're trying to start a national conversation about changes that are needed, and they are talking about some successful models. And I saw you scribbling notes this morning on a Saskatchewan yeah. project. In your view, what are some of the, I hate to call it low-hanging fruit, but are there some simple things that could be done to at least advance the cause? 
Well, there are. I mean, <clears throat> the low-hanging fruit is is actually to... Let's talk about how we did conflict resolution ourselves. I mean, <laughs> we were tribal people. The example I like to give is, is, is if you go to, to the, uh, the, the deserts of Africa and you look at the bush people, there they have no justice systems. They have no political systems. They have no hospitals. They have no police force. But they do conflict resolution. They have to. Any any group of people where you've got more than two or three people living together eventually have to do conflict resolution. And they do it. They sit around the fires at night and they go, gee, we're, we're not very happy because so-and-so hit somebody on the head with a bottle, right? <clears throat> okay, well, what do we do about that? And then the elders sit and, well, you know, I've seen this before. And, you know, we should kind of be, try, to, try to be forgiving try to be kind to, but they sit and talk. It might take them a couple of nights, but that's conflict resolution, right? That's It's it's not expensive. It, it's, it doesn't require uh, judicial intervention. There's no appeal process. And in the end, everybody goes, yeah, that's, I feel better. And they walk away the next day, uh, the fire holding hands again. And and, and so the low-hanging fruit for me is, uh, and this is the call that I got from a, a group in, in Alberta about 15 or 20 years ago, they said, Steve, how do we start a, a conflict resolution process? Because I had been working on the Constitution for our Stoller group. I said, well, just start. Just do it. What do you mean just start? Watch this. Take a conflict and get into a room with your parties and start doing it and see, but record the steps that you take because your system isn't going to be the same as mine, right? I said, and I, I said, look at Leonard, look at you guys have been doing conflict resolution. This is nothing new to you guys. Look how old your societies are. Look how all long you guys have been around on the prairies. Look at the infrastructure you've already got in your communities. So he says, okay, okay. So just take one and start doing it. I said, yeah, just do it. So he called me three months later. He said, Steve, we did one and we, we went right through it. We realized that, yeah, we, we do know about conflict. We could do it. They used their existing structures to resolve the conflict. He said it worked. He said we did it. We, I said, yeah, you didn't need to hire any consultants. You didn't need to go to uh, expensive. That's the low-hanging fruit is how do you guys do conflict resolution from a traditional perspective? Get the awareness and the confidence to know that, yeah, we've always done it. We know what we're doing here. You know, we don't need outside intervention. We don't need to be tagged to the Supreme Court of Canada, da-da-da, hire a whole bunch of consultants. The low-hanging fruit is just asking ourselves, what do we, how do we do it? How do we think about conflict resolution? Once they do that, once you get on, I, I remember going to Window, Window Rock, Arizona, looking at the justice system there. And the justice system had courtrooms, they had lawyers, they had criminal codes, they, had, they, they were sort of replicating everything they see outside almost the world. like the western version of justice exactly system. and 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 you can go that route if you want i mean and 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 you can and populate that system with your own people have your own judges and your own lawyers and whatnot but in the end it ain't our system that's not the way we do it right and so i encourage people when they call me i said look at step one look inside yourself and and say you know e even to your families you know your brothers and sisters are fighting. What do the elders do? Oh, oh. Sit around at night and they would talk about it. <laughs> Bush people in Africa, same thing. Traditional people, because they're tribes, tribes they have different customs and processes, but the underlining process 
uh, the steps of getting them to conflict resolution are the same. There's, a, there's some basic tribal principles that are exactly the same, whether you're Australia, whether you're Africa, whether you're North America, the same, the underlying principles. And when they get to that place, now they're off and running because now they can develop, they can build anything they want. It doesn't cost anything because they're building it and it makes sense to them. And they've got community buy-in. You know, all of the stuff that, what we're trying to do is we're bringing you them a menu saying, well, what do you want here? Oh, I've tasted that before. I don't like it. You know, it's a, it's a European fair, right? I mean, what the hell are we doing? Uh, that doesn't make any sense to, to First Nations people, right? You got to sit down with them and talk about pemmican. You got to sit down with them and talk about buffalo hides. You got to sit down and talk about powwows and stuff. Oh, I understand that. You know, that's, I understand that. Yeah. You know, in other words, one of the principles that I followed since I started working on this idea of developing conflict resolution processes, you got to bring people from the point where they're at. Where are they in terms of their their social ideas, their their, their community ideas? What are they doing, right? Don't don't start way up in the sky and start talking about judges and prosecutors and criminal codes and and jurisdiction and all that. They're going they're going to look at you with big eyes and go I don't know what the hell you said. <laughs> so a Cree community in northern Manitoba with three or 400 members, obviously that's a situation where, okay, you need to start where they're at. Exactly. you got to start with where they're at. You know, <laughs> uh, the Cree put out a great movie several years ago called The Cree Way. And, and I loved that because it was about education, but it was really about everything. And, and what they do is they take their kids out of school for three weeks of the year and they put them on the land with their elders to teach them about how to hunt geese. And it was documented. The great thing about it was that they speak their language, they're with their elders, their elders are guiding them, and they have conflict, right? They do. They, they, and, 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 uh, you know, it's, it's a great thing to see when they go back to what they understand the tools that they've had for centuries, stuff that we took centuries to develop in our, in our, within our systems, we, we shouldn't put them aside now just because somebody else came along and told us that we're Indians under the Indian Act right? Uh, and under the Canadian Constitution. That's a lot of uh, interesting stuff, but we've got stuff that have been around a way longer way longer and stuff that's actually working. And, and in some cases, I believe we're more advanced than Western society. I have Mi'kmaq friends back in Nova Scotia who tell me stories of when they were kids, they used to travel with their parents and grandparents down to Maine to rake berries, blueberries. Yeah. And they would pile 10 or 15 people into the family van, head down the road. And they said, yeah, we had arguments along the way and coming back. But you know what? When you're in one van with 10 or 12 people, conflict resolution, it happens very quickly. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what happened with me and my, my daughter when we were traveling on our motorhome. I said something to her son, and I knew that if we carried on with this atmosphere, it's going to ruin everything. So I pulled the motorhome over, and I took her aside, and I said, you know, I shouldn't have said that. I'm really sorry. So, oh, Dad, I'm too sensitive. I, I you know, da, da, da. Yeah. The air was cleared. That is... A, a, a principle of indigenous indigenous conflict resolution. 
That is that has to do with face, what we call sa'athis. There's that's the same principle. You go to any tribe and they have that principle. And this notion of clearing the air through dialogue is the first step to conflict resolution. You can't get it done. But it's never, never done in the justice system. The judge walks in, sits down, he doesn't care what your feelings are been hurt. <laughs> All he wants to know is what the hell happened. What principles am I applying here? And this is what's fair, and that's it. Next case, right? You probably still have friends who are judges, so you better be careful here. <laughs> oh, I tell you, the, 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 uh, this isn't nothing new. They've heard it from me before, right? <laughs> uh, the, one of the first alternative justice conferences I ever held uh, when I was a judge, because I was on the Indigenous uh, Judicial Committee, the National Committee. I put up a conference in Prince Rupert. I invited Mary Elder Pell to talk about the work that she'd been doing and Judge Stewart talk about the work that they were doing in the North on, on uh, Barry Stewart on, on alternative justice. And that's what they talked about. And, and so this is nothing new to judges who've heard. It. The justice system works for Canadians. That's their system. That's why it works for them. I, I think. I mean, I think they still have access issues, uh, according to the Supreme Court. Former uh, Chief Judge uh, Mc, McDonald, that they, you know, they, they do have access issues. But this is a system born out of their worldview, out of their philosophy, out of Roman times, British times, Norman times. Came from Britain all the way to Canada, and and, and this isn't something foreign to Canadians. Um, but let me tell you, the, the uh, Indigenous people walk into a courtroom and go, "Holy crow, what are we talking about here?" And that speaks to how some communities—it's—it's it's a trust issue. When, they, for example, if they see an RCMP car, it's like the walls go up already. Right? That's right. That's exactly right. I remember going to a policing conference and. Uh, in Ottawa, one time in national police uh, chiefs or commission police, and they talked about the phenomena actually of of of, of uh, young people who draw pictures of of their view of police cars. A policeman, all they have is a window with a shoulder. That's that's the policeman to them. This isn't somebody that's part of the community protecting them. This isn't a trusted member. This is somebody that's coming in to arrest their people. It's, it's an invader. It's totally different from our perspective of, of somebody who's, who's, who's in the system who needs to get protected, and they're calling the police to do that, right? Native people don't call the police. <laughs> they don't call the cops. Hey, not, don't, don't do that, you know? So, so yeah, their view of, of, of Canadian justice is, is skewed by their experience. The history of, of oppression, the history of racism, the history of, 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 of being pushed around uh, inside their communities. And, and so it's, it's going to take them a while to get over that. Well, it's interesting, too. There's such a, a dichotomy of uh, styles or structures of Indian governance. You, you have some self-governing communities. There's the whole treaty process in largely in British Columbia, as I understand it, which you were involved with. And then you've got the Indian Act bans that get a certain allotment of money each year from the bureaucracy, and, and that's it. The path forward for them is going to be different. It's not going to be the same. I, I get a call from a treaty group that are sitting down writing constitutions with, with uh, justice mechanisms. I'm going, okay, I, I understand. I get a call from Indian Act then. Uh, we have bylaw. Okay, well, let's talk about your bylaws, where you're at. I'm not going to go there and there and say, this is what you should do. This is the path forward. It's the same for everybody because it just isn't. 
We've got a, we've got a, a 500 bands across the nation, and they're not on the same uh, vibration. It's just they just aren't. And and uh, so when you b- begin to talk about conflict resolution with them, I always try to figure out okay where are they coming from? What's 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 ground zero for them? Well, you mentioned bylaws. I mean, one community mentioned here the story during the pandemic. They brought in a bylaw just to set up a blockade to keep the community safe, but that couldn't be enforced. The RCMP <laughs> wouldn't come and do it. Yeah, I I, I know that uh, Katie did that in our, our area, and they they enforced it themselves. They put up a they put a barrier, and they got a guy that's standing there, and and if you weren't there to uh, uh, to visit somebody with legitimate reason, they said, "Sorry, we're closed." <laughs> Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. <laughs> I'm cognizant of uh, of your time. Why don't we end with this? You haven't spoken yet to the 600 delegates here at the conference. Uh, if you were to crystallize your your message, what are you going to be telling them? I, w- I want them at the end to understand that they can do it, that this is something within their ability, and that, that they don't really need me or someone else to tell them what to do. That a conflict resolution is something that we've been doing for <laughs> in 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 the in the teepees and the longhouses. We we've, we've had conflict. We know what we're doing, and 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 it's not something that necessarily has to cost a lot of money and t- to be terribly complicated. And that we can do it ourselves. Fantastic! Thank you so much for your time. Stay tuned as we bring you further coverage from the National Conference on the Enforcement of First Nation Laws. Look for updated social media links and website content. I'll put a link in the show notes to the conference website in particular, where you'll find a wealth of resource materials and follow-up information. It's all about finding solutions and taking real steps to restoring Indigenous justice systems. Thank you for continuing to support the Land Decolonized podcast and for sharing it with friends and colleagues. I'm Richard Perry.